Good morning, River Life. It's February, and that can only mean one thing. It's our annual relationship series. This year, we turn our attention back to the marital relationship. We will do a six-week sermon series entitled Married Friends. Today, we kick off the series with friendship is the hallmark of a healthy marriage. But let me start by sharing my own story. Now, Greg and I met our first semester in college, but we barely talked to each other until second semester when he asked me on a date to see a movie. That ended up being the beginning of our romantic relationship. Fast forward, graduation time, and a year later, we got married. To be very honest, the early years of marriage were really challenging and even painful. Although we had dated for four years before getting married, I had too quickly gotten physically and emotionally attached to Greg without really seeing him and getting to know him as an individual who was not in a relationship with me. When the honeymoon phase was over and we had to face the challenges of creating a life together, the warm fuzzies of infatuation and romance quickly diminished and more and more with each occurrence of misunderstanding and hurt. Several years into the marriage, I wasn't sure if our marriage was going to survive. Psychologist Robert Sternberg's triangular theory of love would have diagnosed us as lacking intimacy. Intimacy is that ingredient that characterizes deep friendship where there's mutual fondness, acceptance, respect, goodwill, honesty, support, and enjoyment. In his model, three very important ingredients are needed to have a vibrant and strong marriage. Passion, intimacy, and commitment. So let's look at each one of these. Passion is the physical and sexual attraction that leads to romance and physical intimacy. When there's only passion in the relationship, Sternberg calls this infatuation. Intimacy is the emotional closeness and connectedness that leads to depth of knowing each other. It is the warmth shared by two people who really like each other. Commitment is the decision to be with the person and the continued commi commitment to the relationship for the long haul. If there is only commitment without passion or intimacy, Sternberg calls this empty love. Sternberg's theory says that all three components must be present and in full amounts for there to be what he calls consummate love where the couple are lovers who share passion for each other and have kept that spark burning, where they are best friends who are honest, caring, and supportive, and where the couple is faithful and committed to each other, and they are committed to working hard on the relationship. Now, I'm pretty sure that at this moment you're not even listening to me because you're figuring out where you and your relationship falls on Sternberg's theory. So I'm just going to 
pause here and give you a moment to assess where you are on passion, intimacy, and commitment. Okay, now back to Greg and me. Our dating and early years of marriage were filled with passion and commitment, but without a strong foundation of friendship, we really struggled to understand, accept, and celebrate each other. We would sometimes say, I know you love me, but I'm not sure you like me. What we needed was to become better friends. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 is a Bible passage that is often cited at weddings. It reads like this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie to get down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In the verses coming right before this passage, King Solomon writes about a lonely, greedy man who had no brother and no son. He works very hard to get rich, and that's all he seems to do all the time. But as he's laboring away, he realizes the uselessness of his work since there's no one to share his wealth with, and he wonders why he isn't enjoying life more. Then Solomon writes, two are better than one. It is better to have a trusted companion than to go through life alone. This passage is not specific to a married couple. This could describe any two people who are in a relationship where there's mutual help and support. And since they are sharing a bed, hopefully they are good friends. But notice the benefits of this friendship. They work together and accomplish more than if they were by themselves. They help each other during difficult times and literally pick each other up. They provide warmth for each other when it's cold outside. And they have each other's back and will fight to keep the other ones safe. While Solomon spends a lot of time in the book of Ecclesiastes bemoaning the futility and meaninglessness of life, it is surprising that he pauses in this passage to acknowledge the usefulness and importance of companionship and friendship. It's as if he finally found something under heaven that is worthwhile. Yes, friendship is worthwhile with other people and especially with your spouse. Modern day researchers have discovered this truth. In looking at couples who have been married a long time, 30 years and longer, Researchers found that friendship and things that contribute to friendship are the top ingredients of these marriages. In another study, when they compared couples who divorced with couples who did not divorce, researchers found that one of the main differences between these two groups is that in stable marriages, the couples do things that contribute to their friendship with each other. 
In fact, one researcher found that 70% of couples identified the quality of friendship with their partner as the factor that affected their level of happiness. And that was true for both men and women. Similarly, a 2019 study by Sean Grover and John Hollywell on couples and happiness found that married couples and those who were living together were happier than people who are not with a partner. More astoundingly, married couples who said that their spouse was their best friend had twice as much additional life satisfaction or happiness as married couples who were not each other's best friend. Grover and Hallowell also found that more men than women identified their spouse as their best friend. And interestingly, because shared religious involvement increases one's happiness and being married increases one's happiness, if your partner is your best friend and you both uh, go to church or are involved in your religion together, you have the most life, satis life satisfaction or happiness of anyone. In fact, Grover and Hollywell call these couples super friends. Perhaps one of the most well-known relationship researchers is psychologist John Gottman. Gottman and his associates have studied couples and marital relationships for more than 50 years. Originally, couples would come to their uh, laboratory, which was fondly called the Love Lab, and the couples would be hooked up to machines so that the, the researchers could measure their heart rate, their blood pressure, and even their perspiration as the couple was discussing topics. And usually when they were discussing a topic that there was disagreement. Data from observing and recording thousands of couples has been collected and analyzed in minute detail. Numerous books and conferences later, this is their conclusion. Happy marriages are based on a deep friendship of mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. They later explain that friendship fuels the flames of romance because it offers the best protection against feeling adversarial toward your spouse. The inference here is that without friendship, it is very easy to become adversarial and view and treat your spouse as your rival or even your enemy. When you are competing against your spouse, you will likely do and say whatever it takes for you to win, which usually means that you end up being disrespectful, thoughtless, and unkind. We all know someone who is respectful and oh so charming to outsiders and strangers, but when they turn to speak to their spouse, their face and their tone of voice change, and they speak with impatience, anger, and disgust. They treat outsiders way better than they treat the person 
who is supposed to be closest to them. Gottman and his team report that they can predict with 91% accuracy which couples will stay together and which couples will end their relationship just by observing, listening, watching the couple communicating with each other. That is an astounding accuracy rate. They identify and quantify specific behaviors so that they can tell the difference between couples who are happily married, which they call the masters, and the couples who are unhappily married and who will most likely divorce, which they call the disasters. We can all learn from these masters of marriage. Whether you're in a relationship now, hope to be in one someday, or just want to have healthy friendships, we can all learn. Gottman says, for all the attention my ability to predict divorce has earned me, the most rewarding findings to come out of my studies are the seven principles that will prevent a marriage from breaking up. The good news is that disasters don't have to stay in that status. They can learn the principles and habits of the masters they can transform their marriages into healthy, happy unions, and they can prevent divorce. In a nutshell, two findings about the masters in marriage guide the changes that are needed. One, happily married couples behave like good friends, and they handle their conflicts in gentle, positive ways. Two, Happily married couples are able to repair negative interactions during an argument, and they are able to process negative emotions fully. In this Married Friends series, we will address these crucial components of successful marriages by covering the seven principles for making marriage work. Though we won't present them in the same order, and we'll combine a couple of them together. We highly recommend that you get the book and that you do the assessments that are in there and the exercises as we go through the seven principles. So in the next five weeks, we'll cover these topics. Are you a bad, bad friend? Becoming good friends, repairing ruptures, managing conflict like teammates, and finally, we'll end with doing life together. Wherever your marriage is right now on that spectrum, from disaster to master, God wants to and he can grow and transform it into a healthy, thriving marriage. Greg and I are living proof that God can change you and your marriage. Over the years and decades, we've had to learn how to develop, to nurture, and to focus on our friendship. By God's grace, we'll be celebrating 30 years of marriage this April. We're excited to see what God will do for you.